Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. In February of 2022, Bible Gateway made the decision to remove the Passion Translation from the list of available English language Bible versions. The reactions, as you may guess, were mixed. Many were expressing gratitude, while others were expressing extreme disappointment. There were even people that are very much in favor of the Passion Translation that were stating it was an attack of the enemy against Brian Simmons and against the Passion Translation and the anointing of God. And one of the comments came from Brian Simmons himself that was interesting, that it has now been retracted. But his initial reaction was found to be this. So cancel culture is alive in the church world. Bible Gateway just removed the Passion Translation, or TPT, from their platform. We have one critic who paid scholars to trash TPT, so now we're off. Do you use the Passion Translation online? Please let them know you'd like it back. Click online. On the left, you'll see, please select. Then go to translations and let them know you'd like TPT back online. He then goes on to list the different areas where TPT is available. And he also recommends it on the Olive Tree app and version. And you may be wondering who he's talking to about the one critic who paid scholars to trash the Passion Translation. That's actually slander against an individual whose name is Mike Winger. And Mike Winger was integral in helping me to understand. He doesn't know me, but he was integral in helping me to understand the errors of the Passion Translation, which was very helpful to me, as I'll explain in just a moment. And I found this interesting, this type of reaction to the Passion Translation. And there were mixed emotions, as I said. Uh, Some were expressing gratitude. Others were expressing disappointment, such as Brian Simmons and many others. And I was actually one that was expressing gratitude. I took time to private message Bible Gateway, and I thanked them for taking down the Passion Translation. And I also know of other people, which, by the way, Mike Winger is a charismatic. There are other charismatics that have expressed concerns and red flags and hesitation about this version that's being offered to the Passion Translation because it does not present itself as a translation. It's more of a paraphrase. There's a lot of issues with it and a lot of background to it that are very disturbing. And we're going to talk about a couple of things today. It's such a vast subject to talk about. There's no way for me to talk about every single issue and concern about the passion in this podcast. But I want to touch on two things that personally were troubling to me when I realized what was going on and why I made the decision to no longer read the Passion Translation. So yes, I was a former reader and owner of the Passion Translation. I even referenced it in some of my older blog posts that have now been retracted and no longer available on my website. And you may or may not know this about me, but this is where it was integral in my life and how I stumbled across Mike Winger's uh, content about the passion. And this was after I had left the church I was part of, and I was on a search to figure out what I'd been a part of. And I stumbled across the passion videos that Mike had done. And if you have not seen them, I'm going to post a link to all of them for this episode. I encourage you, even if you are an avid reader of the passion, if you're like me, I was one of those people that if I would see something that contradicted what I believed, I was so hesitant to watch it because I thought, I don't know if I want to watch that or not, because deep down I was afraid that it was going to reveal things that maybe I had already had hesitations or reservations about. 
And after watching his content that was very well done, that was very um, well thought out, it was done in love, it was not done in a mean-spirited way, but it was done to present the truth and to present it in such a way that it would cause you to look further for yourself and be aware of what's going on because sometimes we don't know all the backstory of things such as the Passion Translation. But watching this, it helped me. And this is why. Several years ago, back in 2017, I was actually emailed by Brian Simmons himself. I did not know that he even knew who I was or that he even knew that I was on the radar of writing or anything. But I received an email from him stating that he read my blog, he really enjoyed the insights on it, and he had passed my name on to his publishers, Broad Street Publishing. He said I had a gift for writing, and so he wanted to let them know about me. Well, I didn't know exactly what that entailed. A week later, I was on the phone with the president and vice president of Broad Street Publishing. And they told me about a Bible study project that was going to be going on that they were actually looking into and working on a project that would take about four to five years because they were still working. Brian was still working on, quote, translating the Old Testament, even though he's done several books out of there already. And they were looking for people that would help to write and put together content for the Bible studies that would correlate with the Passion Translation. So I was being considered to help write Bible studies for the Passion Translation. Now, this dragged on for a couple of years. I ended up getting something a month before everything broke loose with me in the church I was part of as a house prophet, and I use that in air quotes. But long story short, I received an email from them with a draft of the Gospel of John, the Bible study for the Passion Translation from, the, from John, and they, the editor was asking me, are you still interested in being part of this? And I said, oh, absolutely, because at the time, nothing had changed. That was the last email that I received any word from them. And so things kind of just lingered on, and I didn't know. I was in limbo, didn't know what was going on. I just told them I was still interested. Well, <laughs> um, wouldn't you know it, I stumbled across Mike Winger's videos and began watching them. And from the first one that I watched and I heard from Brian Simmons' own mouth how he named the Passion Translation, some of the encounters he had had, and saw some of the problems with the Passion Translation, I immediately realized there was no way that I could be a part of this project. I could not put my name on it. And so I made the decision, if they even contacted me again, I was going to say, I'm sorry, but I just can't do this. But they never contacted me again. So in my opinion, the Lord handled it, and I was not ever a part of it, and I'm thankful for that. So today I want to discuss the two areas of concern surrounding the Passion Translation and why I no longer read it nor recommend it. I do not recommend reading it, even for a secondary Bible or a, a third Bible or a fourth Bible. I don't recommend it. And I'm going to share two reasons with you why. Now, there's, again, Mike and other people, Holly Pivik has done some work on this. She has sounded alarm for years about the translation and has made notes of different areas where there's been uh, translation issues, and then those have been changed by Brian Simmons, and then there's been no explanation as to why. That's an example. But Mike and, uh, and Holly and other people have done extensive work, so the few sources that I have to share with you, I will post those links for you so you can check those out. And so... There's it, Again, there's no way for me to cover everything. Other people have done a far better job than I ever could in understanding this. And I encourage you to examine these things that I'm going to put here, the links, and also to examine this particular episode. And if you are an avid reader, or if you know of the concerns and may need this source to open up dialogue with those you love who read it, then this is for you. 
I don't want you to turn off this episode because you immediately are a diehard fan and you don't want to hear anything that negates the Passion Translation. Because we need to be understanding that there are things that are taking place and people are doing in the name of God or the name of Christ. And that doesn't mean that it's from God or that it's actually in truth. We have to be willing to test everything, no matter how sincere someone is. I've said before about my own self in the things I used to do, I was sincere, but I was sincerely wrong in the things I did. We're not measured by sincerity. We're measured by the truth that lines up with Scripture. And so we're going to be talking about the passion some today, and I'm going to be sharing some clips with you that I have found and and listening to what I did and pulling some of these clips and sharing with you some of the things that have been said by Brian Simmons himself, and then you weigh them and test them against scripture. Brian Simmons is recognized and self-acknowledged as the lead translator of the Passion Translation. He tells that he was commissioned by Jesus himself to write the translation. In 2009, Jesus enters the room you're in and gives you an assignment. Tell me what that was. What a wonderful night that was. Uh, Again, I was in my room and uh, the uh, presence of the Lord became tangible, heavy, thick, so powerful that I I slipped out of bed and knelt there by my bed, and the one I love came and uh, commissioned me. He says, I'm commissioning you to do this translation project, and he breathed on me, just blew his breath upon me. I'll never forget that experience, and he promised me that, that he would give me help, that he would stand with me and give me secrets of the Hebrew language, secrets of the Bible, that would be for this last day's awakening. And uh, that was the beginning of the Passion Translation Project. I want you to note something here when he talks about this. And in case you didn't recognize, that's from the Sid Roth Show. And what's interesting, I did not realize that there was a radio broadcast that's completely different from the TV broadcast that Sid Roth does. And some of the things that Brian Simmons says in the radio broadcast are not what he says in the TV broadcast. And I'm going to share some of that in just a moment. One of the things that actually really troubled me, it may not trouble other people, but it troubled me when I found out about it because, well, we'll get there. But I want you to notice something. He talks about this experience, uh, which is interesting to note. He has an experience, and this is not uncommon for people that are on the Sid Roth Show or or other shows that are like this that are claiming to have a supernatural encounter. But it's interesting to note that his experience has no other witnesses, unlike the apostles in the New Testament, including Paul. So it cannot be confirmed. We are having to believe him and take him at his word that this is what happened. There's no one else to verify this or to validate this, to confirm it, authenticate it. Whereas with the apostles of Christ, for example, we have scripture that authenticates their ministry, authenticates the miracles, the signs, the wonders they did. That authenticated their ministry that Christ actually sent them, was commissioned by Christ to go forth and to preach the gospel and the signs and wonders that followed them authenticated their ministry. And it's also interesting how these experiences are frequently mentioned when claiming a supernatural call. This is not uncommon. So this this happens quite often, whether it's on Sid Roth's show or other shows where people are 
conveying things that happen to them. It's a supernatural encounter with Jesus that Jesus comes to them. Notice that he talks about the one that I, the one that I love came. This is almost like in reference to the gospel of John and even in at near the end of the gospel of John, when Jesus comes to his disciples and he breathes on them, it says receive the Holy Spirit. So he's saying that Jesus breathed on him to commission him to write this passion translation. So it almost sets up this whole scenario that if you even question the passion translation, that you're questioning Jesus and you're questioning the commission that Jesus has put on Brian Simmons and you're on dangerous territory. Now that may seem like a reach for some people, but when you make such a claim like this, that's what you're doing. And it's also, it's almost like a manipulative uh, maneuver to basically shut down critical thinking, to shut down any sort of questioning, any sort of testing whatsoever, and that you're automatically a Pharisee, religious spirit, critical spirit. You know, the list goes on of what the accusations can be made about people that call this into question because they, people that love the word of God so much, they value truth. They value the word of God, the inspired God-breathed word, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, that they want to make sure that what they're receiving is truly the word of God and that we're not receiving another Christ. We're not receiving someone that's getting extra biblical revelation and, and relying on their experiences rather than on scripture. So those are some of the things I noticed about that. I don't know if you noticed them, but maybe it'll give you some food for thought in case you hadn't. Um, I would also say too, that when you look at Brian Simmons' educational background, to my understanding, and from what I've uh, heard from Mike Winger and other people, he has no training in linguistics. He has no educational training in in the linguistics or uh, in studying this, no, no degrees or anything. And some people will, you know, roll their eyes about that. But you have people that spend years studying Hebrew and Greek, Aramaic and such, other languages, and they understand it and they know it and they recognize it. They have the education to back that up. They have the clout, if you will. He doesn't have that. The degrees that he does have to call himself a doctor come from the Wagner Institute. And C. Peter Wagner was the one that coined the term New Apostolic Reformation. He is the one that that New Apostolic, the NAR comes from, and that I've talked about this in other episodes that the NAR is a real thing and it continues even today, regardless of the fact that people want to gaslight and they want to say that it doesn't exist. It most certainly does exist. And Brian Simmons considers himself an apostle. So one of the things that you'll also hear in this type of movement that people that adopt these titles and believe that they are part of the governing authority that's being restored to the church as apostles and prophets, you will hear them testify that they've had some supernatural encounter. It it happens, I mean, consistently, if you'll take note of it, that's usually the thing that marks, they try to, they will claim this and people may be having real experiences, but the question is, are they truly Jesus? Is it truly from God? Is it really biblically based and is it based in on truth. And if people are going to shut down the testing of it, then that's a big problem because we're told to test things according to scripture. So automatically out of the gate, we've got Jesus coming into his room. There's no one else to verify it. Jesus breathes on him. He commissions him and he says, that's how the Passion Translation started. Now, if you're not familiar with the Passion Translation, what Brian Simmons has done is that he has piecemealed it and he started off with the the New Testament. All the New Testament has been what he says translated into the Passion Translation. And uh, the New Testament is done usually when you can buy a Bible that's put together. Initially, he had them as individual books that you could purchase of each 
of each one. You could purchase Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, all of them separate. Well, um, several years ago, he st- they started creating and publishing the New Testament along with Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon together. I actually have still have my copy. I do not read it. I have it for research purposes. I have a whole shelf of books that I have for research purposes, and I'm running out of space, but I do keep books for research purposes uh, so I can do my own research on different topics, especially if people message me about topics, and I will actually purchase used books and try to do some research before I cover a topic, and, and that way I'm getting informed on something. So you can purchase them like that. He's also been working on, he's finished Genesis, Isaiah, um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, recently I saw Joshua, Judges, and Ruth were also done. So he's working on them a book at a time. And so he reports to use Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic for translation. And according to his website, I wanted to take this directly off the website that's called about the passiontranslation.com. It has this to say about the translation and the translator. This is under the section called about the, tra- the lead translator. Uh, Brian Simmons, the second paragraph, it says Simmons is also the lead translator of the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation is a heart level translation that uses Hebrew, Greek and Aramaic manuscripts to express God's fiery heart of love to this generation, merging the emotion and life changing truth of God's word. The hope for TPT is to trigger inside every reader an overwhelming response to the truth of the Bible and to reveal the deep mysteries of the scriptures in the love language of God, the language of the heart. Brian is currently translating the Old Testament. Most recent releases include Genesis, First Fruits, and Isaiah, The Vision. And it goes on to talk about some of the, conver- the his dramatic conversion and supernatural experiences and such. But I wanted to read that to you. Now, again, I'm not going to cover the, the concerns or the issues with the Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. I'm not a biblical scholar by any means in understanding these languages. I do know there's some concerns as far as the reference to the Aramaic. He does make a point to talk about that Jesus spoke in Aramaic, but there are biblical scholars that make the point that the Aramaic currently available is not the Aramaic that we understand that Jesus spoke in at that time uh, during his earthly ministry. So there are some questions about that. I would direct you towards Mike Winger's information on his website and also the passion project that he's done. He hired biblical scholars not to trash the the passion, but to take a fair and objective look at it. And he hired scholars, by the way, and gave them the books that they were experts in of their field. So a biblical scholar that had expertise in Romans, he evaluated that book and he gave, uh, based on what the passion said, and he gave his theological expert evaluation on it of the concerns or if there were anything in there that seemed like it passed the, the, the biblical sniff test, if you will. But every scholar came back with concerns about this and that it should not be labeled as a translation. Now, of course, Brian will argue about that because he believes it is a translation and that it honors both the word-for-word and the thought-for-thought function in Bible translation. Speaking of talking about the word-for-word and thought-for-thought, I did also want to read off of this website that it talks about the translation, when it talks about the translation philosophy. He does talk about this a little bit and why he says this passes uh, this test as being a translation. Several paragraphs down on the section on the passiontranslation.com website, it's called translation philosophy section. He says, 
There is no such thing as a truly literal translation of the Bible, for there is not an equivalent language that perfectly conveys the meaning of the the biblical text except as it is understood in its original cultural and linguistic setting. Yet to transfer the meaning of the biblical narrative from one language to another requires interpretation. He says, since every translation interposes a fallible human interpretation between the reader and an infallible text, a translation can be a problem. However, the problem is solved when we seek to transfer meaning and not merely words from the original text to the receptor language. That's the governing philosophy behind the Passion Translation, to transfer the essential meaning of God's original message found in the biblical languages to modern English. We believe that the essential meaning of a passage should take priority over the literal form of the original words, while still ensuring the essence of those words is conveyed, so that every English speaker can clearly and naturally encounter the heart of God through his message of truth and love. The Passion Translation is an essential equivalence translation. Still reading on this website. TPT maintains the essential form and essential function of the original words. It is a meaning for meaning translation, translating the essence of God's original message and heart into modern English. We agree with Fee and Strauss, accuracy in a translation relates to equivalent meaning. A lot of the translation goes above and beyond what the some of the original text even says. It inserts words that weren't even there. The some of the verses are twice as long as what they um, are in other verses. There's words that are used that are quote unquote buzzwords that could be affiliated with particular movement. So again, I'm not going to get into the great detail, but I did want to cover that and direct you back to at least Winger's information that he has available on his YouTube channel. I wanted to go back for a moment. With what Brian Simmons says about the Passion Translation and that using the different languages, and he has made references about the Hebrew is, is a, an Aramaic or a heart, they go to the heart, they're a heart language. He says that the, the Passion Translation is to trigger inside every reader an overwhelming response to the truth of the Bible and to reveal the deep mysteries of the scriptures and the love language of God, the language of the heart. And so we have to really watch and make sure that we're not being led by our heart. We're not ever told to be led by our heart because that can be a dangerous thing. Uh, Jeremiah talks about, you know, that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can possibly know it? And so we have to watch that. We have to guard our hearts, right? We have to guard to make sure that what we're believing, what we, what we are feeling and such, that we don't go by feelings or emotions or we're not looking to... Um, Not that emotions are bad because God gives the ability to have emotions, but we don't base our truth on how we feel. We don't base it on how uh, something moves us or how passionate it makes us towards God. And the other question that really concerns me when I think about what he said, is God's word unable to trigger an overwhelming response to the truth of the Bible without the Passion Translation? What have people done for the past 2,000 years without the Passion Translation? I mean, can, can you think about this for a moment? If Jesus came into Brian Simmons' room years ago and breathed on him and commissioned him to do this Passion Translation, and Brian is claiming that this translation has the ability to trigger something in, in an overwhelming response to the truth of the Bible and to reveal mysteries, which that's more of a mystic approach, really, to talk about you're trying to find these hidden meanings in Scripture and these deep truths and as if the, the Scripture alone which testifies of Christ, by the way, it's not centered on us. It's centered on Christ and knowing him and understanding God and the attributes and and him being glorified and the great plan of redemption and how we fit into this because of Christ and talking about the love language and the language of the heart. So you're telling me that and telling others that have questions about this 
whether you're a former reader or never read it at all because of the red flags, you're going to say that that Jesus waited all this time and so people have languished for a couple of thousand years because they didn't have a translation that, that went to the heart, to their personal heart. See, I think that, that if this is really, first of all, it's propping up Simmons, whether he intends to do that or not, I don't know what his intentions are. Whenever you do this, you're drawing attention to a person for one thing. And you're saying, well, this person has the ability to translate this in the right way. We've been missing something for thousands, a few thousand years. And so now we need a translation that gets to the heart. Well, there are other people that focus on heart too. Remember Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism? He also too had supernatural experiences. He was he saw an angel. We're going to get to the angel in a couple of minutes because this one, like I said, this one was that really troubled me along with uh, John 22. We're going to talk about John 22 and the heavenly library. Joseph Smith had an encounter with a, an angel. He founded Mormonism. So his, his exp- personal experiences uh, along with many others, along with that, and the golden tablets, and and being commissioned as an apostle by some of the some by Peter and others that had passed on to be with the Lord. There are things that you can read about about regarding Mormonism and Joseph Smith and the founding of it, and you can even see that he claimed to have had supernatural encounters. And of course, he came up with the Book of Mormon, and um, he also, you know, Mormons talk about the burning in the bosom. You know, you read the Book of Mormon to see if you have that feeling in your heart, the burning in your heart to testify of what the Book of Mormon says. Um, is anyone else getting concerned here about the Passion Translation and some of the correlations with that? Whenever you start having someone, and I know that, you know, he'll talk about the concern of being only one translator, and there's other people that have done translations in the past of just one. But when you're claiming, it's not only that, it's when you are claiming that Jesus commissioned you. And again, you're setting this precedent of you can't question this. And if you question it, you're my enemy. You're coming against me. You're, you're coming against the anointing of God. You're coming against the anointed ones of God. You're, you're harming them and touching them and putting your mouth on them. So, you know, this can go in a different direction. And it's not helpful because we need to be able to test these things. And we need to understand that the, the word of God does not need our help. It does not need a special translation in order to, to trigger someone and to pierce their heart. God is sufficient self-sufficient for one thing. He is all sufficient and he doesn't need an individual's help in order to make his word more powerful in getting to someone's heart because those that truly belong to him have his word written on their heart and they don't need a special translation for that very purpose. When you love God and you belong to him and you've been marked by him and sealed by him by the promise of the Holy Spirit, According to Ephesians, when you belong to God, when you have been set apart by Christ because of what he did, we, we're always going back to Christ. We're always pointing back to him, never keeping the glory for ourselves, but giving him glory. When we understand that as believers in Christ, then we understand we desire his word because we want to know God. As I've said before, this is part of our intimacy and fellowship with Jesus Christ is getting in the word of God, opening the word of God and understanding who this testifies. It testifies of God, testifies of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit carried men along to write this more sure word of prophecy. 
And so we see that this, the word of God does not need help in having a special translation. And when people start claiming that they've had extra biblical supernatural encounters that props them up again, maybe with an intentionally or unintentionally props up a man or woman and points to them and how anointed they are, and they have the answers, and they have the goods, and they have the revelation that's needed, then we start getting into dangerous territory. We start getting into waters that are questionable and should not be navigated. The title of this episode is talking about the the heavenly library and the commission, which we talked about, and an angel named Passion. Some of you may not be aware, but I'm going to share a clip here in just a moment. There are several areas of concern that I had, but these are two of the ones I wanted to touch on today. And the first one is the origin of the name of the Passion Translation. And then the second one we'll get to about the heavenly library visit that Brian Simmons claims. This clip I'm getting ready to play is also on the radio broadcast. It immediately follows what uh, happened, what transpired allegedly, according to Brian Simmons, about Jesus breathing on him and commissioning him to do the Passion Translation. Immediately right after this, uh, Sid Roth asks Brian Simmons this question on the radio broadcast, not on the TV broadcast, but on the radio broadcast. Did he tell you the name of the Bible? No, he didn't. He just. So where'd you come up with the word Passion Translation? Well, uh, years ago, I saw an angel named Passion in our church meeting. And uh, the Lord spoke to me, not not audibly, but internally, and said, that angel is with your ministry. It's the angel of passion. The Passion Translation has been named after an angel that he saw in one of his, and he's, again, alleging that he saw this angel in one of his meetings years ago that he was conducting in a, in a corporate gathering. He said he saw this angel, and God spoke to him internally, not audibly, but told him that the name of this angel was Passion, and it was assigned to his ministry. Now, I don't know if anyone else is troubled by the fact that this, again, air quote, translation has been named the Passion Translation and that it's affiliated with an angel that he saw that's assigned to his ministry. But this is concerning. And it leads me to think of a particular Bible passage that warns us about um, entertaining things regarding angels and such as far as bringing attention to them in such a way. And we hear this a lot, especially in this particular type of hypercharismatic NAR movement, there's very much a heavy focus on angelic visitations of commanding angels to do things, which the Bible never tells us that we can command angels to do anything. God is the one that commands his angels. They are ministering spirits that he sends out according to his will and according to his command. You will hear people talk about how they see angels and they have different names to them or they have angels assigned to their ministries. And there's a lot of focus, a heavy focus, even people writing books and stuff about it. On angelic visitations, angelic encounters, you'll hear people talking about finding feathers in their house. I find feathers all the time. And you know what else? I have goose down pillows in our living room. So I'm not having angelic visitations. I'm having pillows that are molting. So that's a whole other thing in and of itself. But Colossians chapter 2 verse 18 through 19 says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So there actually is concern of the fact that the Passion Translation is named after an angel, it seems, because of his admission in this radio interview with Sid Roth that the God did 
not give him the name of this Bible, but he is ascribing the name of the Bible to this angel that's assigned to his ministry. And so this needs to be questioned. It needs to be tested because, again, being based on his experience, his encounter, his his observation, supernatural experience that he's proclaiming to other people and then basing it on truth Perhaps people are reading the Passion Translation without even knowing that this interview exists where he admits this. I can't find it in any other interviews. It's the only one that I find where this information is divulged. Now, the second thing I wanted to talk about today was his mentioning also in the same interview with Sid Roth, both on radio and on television, he talked about being taken to the Library of Heaven. So let's see what happened when he was allegedly taken to the Library of Heaven. How in the world did you get into the library room of heaven? I want to go there. Well, I was actually asleep, and I was taken out of my body, and I was brought into this immense library room. I loved being there, and the Lord came up to me, and he said, Brian, I have brought you here to let you take any two books you want. And I'm just walking around, but it didn't take long before I saw a book that I knew I was to have. And then soon I saw another book I knew I was to have. But uh, you'll never want me back on the show when I tell you what happened then. What? Well, I have to tell you the truth. I saw a third book, and I knew the Lord told me I could only take two. And in heaven, whatever you think is put out over the loudspeaker. Now, I want you to pay attention to what he says, and then I'm also going to play the uh, the radio interview part, too, so you can see that he tells the similar story, and there's not the background music and the, the actors. Of course, you can't see on the podcast that there's actors that are paid and hired to portray this particular scene that he's talking about or this encounter. But I want you to listen to what he says, and we're going to talk about some of this, including the the third book that he mentions. Everyone hears it. (laughs) Your thoughts are broadcasted. So here's what I hear coming out of the loudspeaker, and it's my own thoughts. How can I steal this book? (laughs) And then I said, oh, no, I'm shoplifting on God. I I felt so ashamed that I, but I knew if I could take this book, there was this book so, if I could just take this book back with me to the natural realm, it would trigger awakening in all the nations of the earth. It would bring the, it would make the name of Jesus famous on the, in the world. But Jesus came to me and said, Brian, I cannot let you take this book. And he looked at me in the eyes with love that melted me. And he said, you are not ready for that book. Then he promised, but I will bring you back one day and I will give you that book. What was the title? Written on the cover of the book was John 22. Uh, but there's only 21 chapters in John. What's this 22? Well, John 22. Go back to John 14, 12, and you'll see that there is a greater works generation. The works that I do, you will do even greater works than these. It might be good to point out the fact in John 14 of who the audience was to whom Jesus was addressing this, and the greater works than these that he does does not mean necessarily that it's in quality, but quantity because of Jesus's earthly ministry being three years on the earth, whereas the Holy Spirit would indwell believers and now they would be able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are things that we need to consider in light of the scripture and the context of the scripture. 
will be a people that do the greater works of Jesus. They will not add to the scripture, and, and that's a sealed book, but it is a book that is unfolding, and the works of Jesus will be replicated by an entire generation of people that believe fully in the power of God. Now we're going to listen to the radio broadcast of this similar interview. But again, it's a little bit different because we know that uh, he was asked a little bit different questions. But let's listen to what he says about the encounter here about the Library of Heaven. I do know one time you went to heaven. Have you been to heaven more than one time? I have. But tell me, because this intrigues me immensely, tell me about the library that you went to in heaven. Well, I was taken into a massive room as far as the eyes could see, and it was full of volumes of books, uh, books on every verse of the Bible, verse, uh, books on science, and even sciences that have yet to be discovered. I saw the doubling of the periodic table. I just saw the—it's like the treasury chest of knowledge, the mind of Christ. I was taken into this massive library room of heaven. And Jesus walked up to me and said, I brought you here, Brian. He spoke my name. I brought you here, Brian, to take any two books you want. And I quickly found the two that I knew I was to take, that I'd come to that encounter for those two books. Which two? Well, one uh, one I can't say. I'm not uh, released to say what that is yet. I find that interesting that he is not allowed to say which book he was allowed to take. Just very interesting observation there. Let's keep going. But, uh, the other was uh, the spirit of revelation. And I believe God is wanting to pour out the spirit of revelation on his people. And I came back with a fresh infusion. Uh, one of the seven spirits of God is the spirit of revelation knowledge, the spirit of discovery. And that anointing, I know, uh, came on my life in that experience. And, and so this, well, would you say this allows you to be a better teacher because of the spirit of revelation? How, how does this play out practically? Well, every time I open the Bible, I get fresh insight. I, I, it speaks to me. It goes beyond the mind. I, I get uh, dreams and, and revelation from, from the Lord that is clear and uh, prophetic. So I think, Sid, I believe I got baptized in the spirit of revelation in that library room of heaven. Now, there was another book that caught your eye, even though you say, he said you could only have two. I found a third one, and uh, I tried to, for a moment, I, I know my sinfulness coming out, but for a moment I thought, how can I steal this book? How can I get this book? I already found <laughs> I If I could only take this book, it would change the world. Is anybody else concerned or bothered the fact that, that people find it amusing that he is talking about Sinning in heaven, for one thing. Just wrap your mind around that. That he is actually admitting that he was sinning in heaven, that he was wanting to steal this book. Heaven doesn't contain sin. Heaven is where God dwells. And there, there is no residue or anything left of sin. So this this example should be called into question. I mean, this this encounter should be very much called into question. What I can't even wrap my head around either is people laughing at the fact that he's admitting that he wants to steal something out of this alleged library in heaven. There is no reverence for God. There is no reverence for for the I mean, this is this sounds like a great storyteller, to be honest with you. 
And this is very concerning. I don't know. It just struck me odd that people are laughing at this when they hear him say this. And yet it's, it's, there's no processing of, wait a minute, but there's no sin in heaven. So how can this be? I mean, these are things that we need to honestly ask. ...would come to know Jesus. It would shake the world if I could get this book. Oh, I'd like that book, too. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, what was the title? He said, Brian, I can't let you have that book, but I will another day. I will bring you back one day and I will give you the book. And written on the cover of the book was John 22. But wait a second. There's only 21 chapters in John. How could that be? That's right. The last uh, verse of chapter 21, it says, John writes that if if everything Jesus did was, were to be written down, I suppose that the earth itself could not contain the books that would be written. And that's how John's gospel ends. But I saw John 22 in the library room of heaven. And I know that is not adding to the scriptures. I would never employ that. But he is, because to say it's John 22 means it's the additional chapter following John 21 in the gospel according to John. So that is adding to scripture. And let's be reminded that the chapters and verses are not divinely inspired. Those were added later for ease of reference. So he most certainly is adding to Scripture, to the canon of Scripture, by by saying such a statement. We can't play this game of semantics with this. This is what this is implying. He is adding to Scripture, and he is saying that Jesus told him he would bring him back someday. So now there's going to be added revelation that is going to... It, it has the implication that it is divinely inspired, that it is Scripture. So what's to stop someone else from making other allegations or other claiming of making other claims that they've been to heaven and they've seen additions to acts maybe there's no amen at the end of acts i don't know if any of y'all heard that i came up in the church hearing that at times from different people that ministered saying well there's no amen at the end of acts what's to stop someone from saying that they go to the library of heaven and they see a book on acts if he saw these all these sciences that some of them haven't been created or these elements on the periodic table but he saw them, why can't he divulge them? See, th- these these encounters must be tested. They must be tested and they must be questioned. And we've got to stop propping these people up on pedestals and when they say things because nobody, it, it seems like that, that they're getting passes on them, that because they have massive followings or that they're doing these things and that people have overwhelming emotions from them and feelings and they're having personal results, that that makes it valid. But that's not what makes it valid. Let's see if he has anything else to add to this. There's nothing more going to be added to what is written, but the works of Jesus, the John fourteen twelve generation of greater works, There's coming a day when a John 22 company will complete and finish and release to the earth the works of Jesus again. We could also, you know, potentially consider that maybe he, he, I don't know, I think he does hold to a dominion theology, um, like some of the people that ascribe to the New Apostolic Reformation or the belief that of the restoration of apostles and prophets. But you can kind of get here from the interview that 
these are some of the concerns personally when I hear these things that are being addressed along with, uh, like I said, other things, but I wanted to highlight these two. He made these comments about John 22 and he talked about the, you know, the John 14 company and that the, that these, that those that are part of that company will usher in the greatest move of God. And he knew if he could take John 22 back with him, that it would cause the greatest movement the earth has ever seen and that people would really know Jesus. Again, we have to ask, is the word of God not sufficient enough for someone to know God, for someone to not grow in fellowship and intimacy with Christ and to know the Lord and his attributes and his glory and his majesty and understand his ways? Again, whether it's an intentional or unintentional, there is an implication here, once again, that the word of God is just not sufficient. There must be more. There must be more experiences, more encounters. There has to be more extra biblical revelation. There has to be more mystical things going on. There has to be something more. You see, and then then when we have all these other things, then we can move in power. Then we can move in might. And then the people of God can do what they're called to do. Why can't we do that with the word of God that's provided? I think that's a fair question to ask. Now, in relation to John 22, I came across an interview with Daniel Lovett, who has his own podcast called Sozo Talk Radio, and he interviewed Brian Simmons back in March 9th of 2020 concerning the issue of uh, awakening with the Lord as well as the John 22 issue. Daniel Lovett made the statement in the description of this particular episode that Brian reveals details about one of his events to heaven and the awakening that is upon us even now. He was shown a book in heaven, John 22. There have been some ignorant people assuming things about this revelation, which Brian Simmons clears up in this talk. So let's see if it's cleared up for us so we can make sure that we're understanding Brian properly and see if it correlates with what he told Sid Roth. Gosh, I, you know, and you saw something in heaven, didn't you, about the revel, uh, John 22, and it was kind of a metaphor. Oh, by the way, you're going to like this, because when I when I was connecting with the host of heaven, and they were teaching me things, and I was like tripping over the metaphors, what they were showing me, like Daniel... By the way, I wanted to make it clear, this man that's interviewing Brian Simmons is a Christian mystic. So in case you missed it, he is saying that the hosts of heaven were teaching him about some of the mysteries and such. So he has his own encounters. He has a lot of different people that he interviews on his podcast that flow and agree with Christian mysticism in, in different areas. Obviously, you're going to hear that. So I just wanted to clear that up in case you're wondering what he's talking about. We speak to you in metaphor. It's the primary way that we speak to you in metaphor, because it's the best way for us to communicate these eternal truths in a way that you can understand. So I knew that you'd appreciate that. And so the Lord showed you in heaven, a metaphor of like this book of the Bible, John chapter 22, which symbolized like the next great awakening that we're in. Right. Yeah. And I want to hasten to say, and I've said this on a television program that sadly it got edited out. But uh, let me make sure this doesn't get edited out, that there will not be a John 22 added to the Bible. I'm not propagating that we're going to get another chapter added to the scriptures. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I saw... Did you hear him say that it was a metaphor, that the book was symbolic of something else? Or did, did you hear in that interview that Jesus said allegedly that Jesus said to Brian Simmons, I will bring you back and I will give you this book. And on the spine of it, it was said, John 22, he kept emphasizing that during the interview with Sid Roth, that this was 
talking about if he could bring this book back, that it would cause the greatest awakening the world had ever seen. Is that a metaphor? I want to share with you real quick, and then we'll finish playing that. But I want to share with you what the definition of a metaphor is. A metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or phrase is applied to an object or action to which it is not literally applicable. He described that he went to the library of heaven. Was that a metaphor? He described that he saw books in heaven. Was that a metaphor? He described that he saw doubling of the periodic table. He said that he was able to take two books, bring two books back with him. Were those metaphors? He's, he was describing an encounter that he had. He never once said, now, this is, this is just representative of what, what this was. It wasn't a real book or anything, but Jesus told me he would bring me back someday to, to give me this book. And I know that he keeps saying that it's not adding to scripture, but again, I'm going to say it one last time. When you imply that you are adding to, when you are saying, I saw a book that had John 22 on it, people automatically think, oh, that's that's going to be added to the Gospel of John. That's something that was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit and that for 2,000 years, again, people have not had John 22, so now the company could never, the John 14 company could never come forth. This is not a metaphor, but in this interview, this is this is how it's being contorted to make you think, well, that's not what was really meant. And a lot lot of people have seen this. They've seen way more of the Sid Roth show than they've seen of this interview. So understand that. Let me finish playing it out real quick. In heaven, a book called John 22, which had in it the recorded works of Jesus that the whole world couldn't contain if they were written down. The things that Jesus did, we only have a few months of his life recorded in scripture. If you condensed the gospels, We just have a few months, three and a half months of his life. So, you know, he lived a wonderful life of 33 and a half years doing all kinds of things that are not recorded in scripture, but they are recorded in heaven. And that is the book called John 22 that I saw. I held it in my hands. And the Lord said that he is going to release the revelation in that book in the final generation. So, yes, it is a metaphor. Thank you for setting that up for me. It is a metaphor for the coming earth-shaking, heaven-rending, heart-breaking, jaw-dropping, miraculous awakening that is upon us now. And what you'll also see too, again, it's not a metaphor. He never said that during the Sid Roth show. This is kind of a way to skirt around that and try to make it sound like, well, it's not a real book. It's just talking about all the things that we don't know about that Jesus did based on what, how John ended the gospel of John and John 21 about all the books that would fill what Jesus did. But again, it, it, and it goes back, it seems like it points to this issue of, well, if we knew all the things that Jesus did, then he gives us the blueprint for how we're supposed to live. But that wasn't the point of Jesus coming. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the words of the prophets. He said that himself, and he came to satisfy the wrath of God. He came to make atonement for sin. He came to do what the first Adam could not do because Adam rebelled against God and brought sin into the world. And because of that, death came with it. But Jesus came and did what no one else could do because he was truly God and truly man. He atoned for the sin of man. He took upon him the full wrath of God. He drank that cup to the dregs. He satisfied it. He became the propitiation for sin. He died upon the cross. He was put in the tomb. And three days later, he rose from the the grave. 
Because not only do we have the promise of having a cleansing from sin because of what Christ did, but we also, when we are in Christ, when we've repented of our sin, turned to Christ, put our and had faith in him and confessed him as our Lord and Savior, then he rose from the dead and shows us we have the promise of eternal life. He did not come to show us what it's like to live in pure fellowship with God and that you too can do that if you will only do these steps and do what Jesus did. If you'll do miracle signs and wonders, then you'll be just like Jesus. That's not the point. The point is, is that he came to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to reconcile us back to God the Father, and to give us the promise of eternal life. And while we are in this earth, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are regenerated at the moment of salvation. We are justified before God, which is a legal term. We are then sanctified as we walk through this life. We are in a continual process of growing in spiritual maturity and being sanctified, being set apart for God. And that happens by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then when we leave this world, when we die or Jesus tarries, either way, we are going to be glorified. We are not going to be in these bodies that are going to be ravaged from sickness and disease and the fallenness of man, but we are going to be in glorified bodies that are resurrected and they, we are going to glorify the Lord and worship him and enjoy him forever. And we need to get back to the, the focus of what the Bible is really about and what our Christian life is to, who our Christian life is to be lived for. And that is for Christ. It is not for us to, to try to act like he's some sort of guru that we're supposed to figure out what he did so that we can be just like him. We are supposed to glorify Christ in word and deed and do everything to the glory of God. He didn't come to show us those things like some of these teachers talk about that, that ascribe to these things. And so I want to talk about the passion today because the, just two things that were of concern. Again, there's other things that are. I encourage you to check out the links that I'll have posted with this episode. This is a serious issue. I believe that the Passion Translation is dangerous. I believe that it can um, cause you to have misconceptions about Scripture based on how things are being worded because there's certain ideas in there that are not matching up with some of the, ac- the other actual translations. There's just there's a lot here that if you continue to read it, you're going to get confused. And you don't need to read this the Passion Translation, in order to grow closer to the Lord. Don't use a paraphrase either as your main study Bible. That's just some encouragement and a suggestion for you. Don't use a paraphrase as your primary study Bible. Find a reputable translation. And with the Passion Translation, I would avoid it. It is going to just do nothing but bring more confusion to you. And again, it's all based on personal encounters, personal experience, personal supernatural revelation that cannot be confirmed and validated. And that's a problem. So I hope that you found this helpful. Uh, This is not mean-spirited toward Brian Simmons in any way, by the way. I know that that'll be taken that way by some people and invariably I'll be put with the, with the, um, the title of religious spirit and all kinds of things. And that's fine. People want to say that that's fine. It's all right. Won't be the first, it's not the first time. It won't be the last time I assure you, but this is to, to kind of sound an alarm and express genuine concern. And let me reiterate one last time. This is coming from someone who was a former reader of it and owns a copy of it and thought it was the, was a wonderful thing to read and coming to the realization of some of the things I was not aware of, I knew that I could not any, I could no longer read this and trust it. And so 
I want to do this to help other people to alert you so that way you can do your research, do your due diligence. Don't just tune people out because they're saying something that you don't want to hear. Search this out for yourself and make sure that what you are participating in and what you're reading is honoring God and it's testifying of the truth of the word. Thanks for tuning in today. Be blessed today by this word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.